We're in Luke chapter 13 this morning. Uh, we have gone through 12 chapters so far in the book of Luke. So we're halfway through the book. Now, maybe not halfway as far as time, but halfway as far as chapters, at least. And I know you're thinking like, really? I thought we've been on this series for like two years so far. But uh, we, we are making our, our way. And what we've seen so far, we, we've seen this obviously being a gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. We, we see Jesus, the Messiah promised. We see him born as was promised. We see him grow. Uh, we see him be baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. We've seen him be tempted and proven in the wilderness. He passed the test that none of us could pass, that no one ever had passed uh, and was without sin. And we, we see him uh, leave from there, led by the Holy Spirit, full of power. And he begins to start preaching the kingdom. And in his preaching, it's more than just talking. There's, there's explanation and there's revelation. There's new understanding that wasn't there before. And then there's also demonstration because he goes about healing uh, those that are sick and uh, lifting up those that are oppressed. And he shows in, at multiple points that he has, he came with authority, right? We see him say things like, I am and I will. In, in the first chapters of the book of Luke, the first six chapters is a lot more of Jesus doing stuff. He's doing kingdom stuff. And then when he calls his disciples, we, we see it shift towards a little bit more teaching uh, because he's not just giving them one lesson. Hey, I'm going to tell you something and then I'm going to set you loose and I'm going to go. He's spending days and days and weeks uh, with these people. He's teaching them and training them uh, to the kingdom. And now we have many, many more red letter sections ahead of us in the book of Luke than we've already covered. Then we have behind us in the red letters in, in your Bible, the red letters in most Bibles, if it's a red letter Bible, just denotes Jesus is speaking, right? He, he's teaching, he's ministering what, what Peter called the words of life. Uh, there's one point where uh, many of his disciples, his followers had left him uh, walked away because he had confused them, confounded them. And he looked at the 12 and he said, do y'all want to leave too? Are you going to leave next? And Peter just looked at him and said, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. So we've got a lot more words of life ahead of us as we walk through the book of Luke. And again, he, he's telling us what the kingdom that he has brought looks like what it looks like to live in that kingdom and how it's different from the kingdoms of darkness and the kingdoms of this world. So let, let's read Luke 13, starting in verse one. We've got five verses today, so it may stretch out the length of time. <laughs> 13 chapter one, I want to read it and, and then we'll pray over the word as we receive it this morning. It says, about this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. And then Jesus said, do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked, is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too, unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again, unless you repent, 
you will perish too. Let's pray. Father in heaven, bless your word today as we receive it. Open our eyes to the wonders of it. God, I thank you that it is alive, that it's not just text on a page, but it can be life and health to all of our flesh, that we can feel it down in our bones. And I thank you that you will encourage us with it today. Edify us with it today. Build us up and teach us and train us in the way that we should go. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So this passage, now listen, there are plenty of often preached passages, often discussed passages uh, in Scripture, especially in the gospel. You think about we just talked about the the Good Samaritan uh, parable a few weeks ago. Everyone has heard that one. We know it's in there. We may not have read it in a while, but but there's passages of Scripture that 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 we are completely, we believe at least, familiar with You know, whether it's some of the miracles of Jesus, the popular teachings of Jesus, sections like the Lord's Prayer, um, or again, the the parable like the Good Samaritan. But as we walk through any, any piece of scripture, piece by piece, chapter by chapter, what, what we figure out is, is that there's more in there and we see it all right. I mean, we read it, a passage like that, and we go, I don't know that I've ever read that passage before. I don't know that I've ever heard that passage before. We come across some and go, that's in there. That's a little bit, that's a little bit uh, strange. But, but we take for granted that we know all the stories and all the teachings of Jesus. And then we come across something and we're like, what's this now? You know, like when we we're talking about in Bible study on Wednesday night when Jesus is rolling around with the, the, the disciples and one of the villages had turned them away. And James and John speak up and say to Jesus, like, should we now call down fire on them and destroy them, Jesus? Would this be a good time to do that? And of course, he rebukes them and tells them no. But you don't hear that preached a lot. You know, you, you don't hear about that passage, but it's, it's definitely in there and it has plenty in it that we can learn And this passage is one of those passages where you just kind of go, have I read that before? I'm not I'm not sure. Uh, So what has happened is is Jesus is, is, you know, going about doing what he does. And it says about this time he was informed. So some people show up with some news. It's did you hear that Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Roman governor over Judea, did you hear that he mingled the blood of some Galileans with their own sacrifices, meaning that he murdered them or had them killed when they were taking their sacrifices to the temple. They were making sacrifices to the Lord. So for some reason, unknown to us, Pontius Pilate has ordered the killing of men from Galilee, even while they were in the temple offering sacrifices to the Lord on on, on holy ground. And so this news comes in and, you know, you never know the intent of someone who's sharing information. We don't know why they brought this. Maybe they just thought, hey, maybe this is just news. We need to tell people this. This is obviously something big has happened in our local area. We, we, we need to spread the word. Maybe it was to try to reinforce, hey, Pontius Pilate is bad. The Romans are bad. We should do something about these Romans. Maybe it was, we, we don't understand why this happened. Can you believe that this happened? That these people were, were, were killed. They were murdered while they were offering sacrifices at the temple. And their murder was um, 
ordered by the man in authority over the area put there by Rome. So we don't know why they brought this news, but we know that it, it hit. And then we know Jesus responded. Jesus's response in verse two and three. Again, Jesus had a way of going around about something. He said, do you think those Galileans, the ones that were killed, were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked, is that why they suffered? Verse three, not at all. And you will perish too, unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. So this passage, this little section here is a passage about death. It's a passage about how we feel about it and how we should respond to it. And, and the first thing that Jesus does is he attacks an age old mindset that has been around for a while. It's still around today. Th this thought that if you do good, you will get good back in return. If you do bad, you will get bad back in return, right? It has a lot of names and one of them's karma. It, it's the it's, it's what many people believe, how they believe the world works. If you do good, then good will come back. If you're getting bad, then you must have sent bad out or you must have courted bad to come to you. Just a few days ago, we were talking about uh, a, a movie that's out. Kelly was talking about, I want to watch this, this little romance movie. Obviously, I wasn't interested, but I, I saw what it was. And it was a movie based on a book that came out a while ago now that was called The Secret and I don't know if you heard about it, but the, the book, the secret, allegedly the, the secret that they were revealing or saying that they were revealing to people is that your thoughts and your words are a powerful force. And if you think good things and you say good things, then you will, by the law of attraction, bring good things toward you. And if you think bad things and you say bad things, then you will, by the law of attraction, bring bad things to you. You and, and, and there is a grain of truth in that, just like there's a grain of truth in every lie or in every perversion. And when we hear it, it sounds attractive, right? It sounds good. And the reason that it sounds good, it, you know, think good things, get good things. The reason it sounds attractive is because it offers me the control over my situation. It offers me complete and total control and authority over my situation. Now, we know that it can't deliver what it promises, but that's what it is promising, is that it will give me complete control and authority over my situation. And therein lies the problem. It deceives me into believing that I can control my life, that I can be in control of my life. And the bigger problem is that if it mentions God, if this way of thinking mentions God, it talks about him like he's an impersonal just force. They uses words like the universe. The universe will bring it to you. If you build a vision board and put this stuff on it that you want, then the universe will see that and bring it to you through the law of attraction. And it turns God again. If it mentions him at all, it turns him into like a cosmic Amazon prime where he just delivers what I've ordered, where I say, I want this. And he goes, OK, there you go. And we know that that's not how life works. But that's the the false promise of karma. That's the false promise of the secret is that I can order my life. I can put my life into 
order. It's, it's giving me this secret knowledge of how to control my life, which be careful if anybody's ever telling you that they, that they found something new out that's going to show you how to do things. You always want to be wary about that. But the promise of that karma, the promise of the secret is that you can bring good and that you can keep bad away. And we all want that. We all want to keep bad away, don't we? That's why it sells. We want good and we want to keep bad away. And what drives our desire to want to keep the bad away and only bring in the good? What drives our control, our desire for that control in our life is what Jesus is talking about here is the thought of death and loss and the fear of those things. The thought of death and loss and the fear of those things, we see it here. They experienced death, what I would call up close. You know, people that maybe they were familiar with or at least a town that wasn't too far over. Something terrible happened to them. And whenever we encounter death or we see death and loss up close, we remember how much we want to avoid it. We remember how much we want to keep it away and we want to know what can I do to be exempt from what happened to them. What can I do to be safe from what happened to them so that I make sure that that won't happen to me? And we we can see that by how we respond when we get news about death. Well, did you hear, kind of like here, did you hear that this happened? Did you hear that so-and-so died, automobile accident? We go, and it resonates, right? And it settles on us for a second. And then normally, what do we do? We start asking questions. Well, well, I mean, were they speeding? I mean, were they drunk? Were they, were they texting? Were they, were they driving and they, and they fell asleep? What am I doing? I'm trying to figure out how this bad thing happened to them so that I can avoid whatever they did to cause it and then it won't happen to me. That's what we do. It's the way we talk about these things. When we start asking those questions, we want to attribute it to something that we can avoid and then we'll be safe. Did you hear so-and-so dying? Oh, man. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know that. Had he had he been was he had he been sick? Oh, it was just it was it, it, it was cancer. Oh, boy, cancer. Well, did he do this? Did he did he bring the cancer on himself by doing this? Well, I mean, he wasn't real healthy, though, was he? Right. See how how our mind starts to work. We want to figure out what they did wrong so we can do it better. And then we build all these things that we think are going to be barriers between us and death, between us and loss. And we should. We should do those things. We shouldn't (laughs) drive drunk. We, We shouldn't speed. We shouldn't text and drive. We should be safe. But our motivation for being safe shouldn't come out of a fear of death and loss. It can't be motivated by fear. When we talk about the fear of death, that is tormenting stuff. And fear is a foolish fuel for you to try to run on because when you try to run on fear, it's going to hurt you from the inside out. When that's your motivation for doing what you do, it's going to hurt you and harm you. And through that, it's going to harm and hurt those around you because when we, when we put our faith into something that can't do what we want it to do, we, we, we get afraid. 
when we put our faith into these processes that we build, when we put our faith into these decisions that we make, that this, if I do this, it'll keep me safe. Fear is the result because we see in truth that it's not going to be able to do what we want it to be able to do. Again, we should do good and wise things, but we also need to understand we can eat as many blueberries as we want. We can get as many exercise machines as we want. We, we can make sure our levels are just as perfect as we can ever get them to be. But at the end of the day, we cannot fully keep back loss and or death, right? We can do all of that again, and, and I'm sure it's all good for us, but ultimately it won't keep us from dying, right? Ultimately, it won't keep us from dying and faith in those things, the things that we can do are only going to lead us to more fear and more anxiety because they can't hold us. Remember that that's the definition I like to use for fear is fear is the response when you see the insufficiency of what you've put your faith or your trust or your hope in. When you know that what you've put your hope in can't hold you up the way you need it to, you start to get afraid and you go, what am I going to do? This is supposed to hold me up. This isn't going to work. What am I going to do? And that's the What's going to happen to me? What am I going to do? Those are fear of death type comments. And, and this is what we're talking about today. The fear of death is a real thing. Not, not the knowledge of death. We're, we're going to talk about that. But the fear of death, the fear of loss, the fear of suffering. These are, these are big things that we deal with in life and it normally hits the hardest when something has happened close to us, right? I remember after my dad died, I, I dealt with a significant time of the, just the fear of death. He, he had skin cancer and fought it for a few years, went to other places and he ended up, he, he died from that. And so I did some things that I should have done, right? I made an appointment to go get my well baby checkup, go get all my blood work done, go get all that stuff. But I remember how I felt when that was approaching. There was this ominous feeling. There, there was this feeling of, of fear and dread of even to go to the doctor because well, what if they find something? Well, what if there is something wrong with me right now? Like there was something wrong with him. I felt fragile, Right. That when we when we're dealing with the fear of death, we, we have this feeling of fragility and we actually are fragile. I mean, we're flesh and blood fragile. And I was just completely aware of that. And it was bothering me. And thank God, his goodness. He, he taught me in that. He didn't leave me alone in that. He, he taught me a better way. He taught me how to trust in him and to learn the right lesson from a close encounter with death. And I believe that's what Jesus was telling his disciples here when he says, hey, you know, yes, the fact that these Galileans were murdered, that bothers you, doesn't it? You're feeling that and you're trying to figure out what they did wrong so that you can do it right. But what I want you to do is learn the right thing from this. Not that you should fear death, not that you should be overwhelmed by the thought of death, but we should realize that it's a day that we'll all have to face. 
And it has in it a meeting there that we'll all have to have an answer for. And we as people don't feel equipped for that. We fear it because we know that in ourselves we are not ready for that. And we also know that we can't control it. And when we can't control something, it starts to bother us. And that's where that fear of death comes from. But Jesus wants us to learn a better lesson from death than to learn to be afraid of it. One of the verses that I always go to in talks like this is in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter seven and verse two. And it says that it's better to go to funerals than to parties because death is the end of all of us and the living can still take that to heart. He say it's better for you. Now, it's not more fun, funner to go to a party, I'm sure. It's better for you to go to a funeral than a party because death is how it's going to end for everyone who's alive. And the living can still take that to heart, meaning we can still recognize that and go, OK, I have to do something different. OK, th- this is coming for me. What's my answer for it? And as we know, we have no better answer than Jesus Christ. And the Bible talks about that in the book of Hebrews, chapter two and verse 14. If you've dealt with the fear of death, this is a great passage for you to underline and highlight in your Bible. It says there in Hebrews two fourteen, because God's children, that's us, are human beings made of flesh and blood. Fragile, right? Because we're humans made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood for only as a human could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Only in this way, wow, becoming like us, putting on a fragile body like the one that we have, dying only in this way could he set free all who lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. A slave doesn't get a choice. A slave has to do what the master says. And he says they were slaves to the fear of of dying. It drove everything that they did, but he came to break it. He was telling them that the Galileans that had died, that had been murdered in the temple, weren't any, any more or any less deserving of death than they were or than we are. He was like, have made better decisions. And you're like, they're just like you. Death is coming. Then he says, repent or you also will perish. He didn't want to make them afraid of death because Hebrews tells us that he came to break that. He came to destroy it. He came to set free those that were held captive by the fear of death. Think about how much loss actually occurs just from the fear of loss. When I try to keep from losing, I always Lose When I draw back from risk, when I draw back from vulnerability, when I draw back from exposure in life, I always lose anyway. Think about all the loss that has come up just because of the fear of loss and death. We don't want to feel vulnerable. We don't want to feel like that's the end for us. And so we build those barriers those walls to try to hide behind so that we can gain control and we'll never be able 
to do it. And then when we've built up all those walls, we're walled off from others, we're walled off from life itself. And Jesus's prescription for the fear or that you could even say the fascination of death, the, the fear of death, he tells them in ver- verse three, the latter part of verse three, repent of your sins and turn to God. Repent of your sins and turn to God. We know the word repent means change the way that you think. Think a new way. Have your mind renewed. Repent of your sins. Think differently about how you have sinned and turn to God as what? As your answer. Change the way that you think. Acknowledge your sin before God because he's the only one who conquered, can conquer death. And again, we should do all the good things in life that we can do. We, we, we should live wisely. We know that. And then knowing that, that we can eat all, again, all those blueberries. Blueberries, power fruit, I'm telling you. I heard one presentation, this lady, basically, it sounded like if you just eat enough blueberries, you'll live for forever. And they pitched that because that's what we want. We want to find out what can I do to always keep this away? And the answer is you can't do enough to keep it away. You should make wise decisions in life. You should be healthy. You should take all your vitamins. But if you do all of that and you try to avoid all the dangers, if you, I'm going to avoid all the dangers. I'm never going to go anywhere. I'm never going to do anything. I'm never going to try anything. You can avoid all of them. And yet we will still find ourselves at the end weak and unable to hold off death. In the end, from coming in the end, we can do everything And again, we should do it in wisdom because, hey, the longer I live, the the more preaching I get to do, the more people I get to love, the more people I get to help. I, I want to stay healthy as much as it depends on me, but I don't put my faith in any of those things. I don't put my hope in them because if I do, I'm going to begin to feel those pangs of fear. Again, we should be wise in worship towards God by taking care of this body. We shouldn't live foolishly. Worship him with what he gave us, with the understanding that I still have to look to him ultimately as my answer. It's so funny. I think it bothers us more now because we know so much more stuff. We know so much more bad stuff that goes on. So much more. We see it all day long. I was thinking about that even this morning. Like how nice would it have been like Little House on the Prairie time where it's you, your family, your farm. You may go into town once a week. You're not getting any bad news except just the bad news that's happening at your house. Right. Just the bad news that's happening there. Well, yeah, she's not feeling good today. Okay. Hate that. You don't hear about all the loss and tragedy and death of the whole world like we do now. We have the news at our fingertips. Some of it real. Some of it is. Some of it is fake. But but we see all of the bad things and our minds have been expanded by this. And we are just convinced that we are around the corner from death at every turn. Right. We are around the corner from getting abducted at every turn. 
Every time we go to Walmart, it seems like somebody's getting abducted, right? And not that there aren't dangers and things out there to, to, to keep back. I looked, there have been fewer people reported missing in 2019 than there were reported in 1990. There were actually many more people reported missing in 1990. 2019 was one of the lowest years for people reported missing in the last 20 or 30 years. When were we, but are, we're more scared now of people going missing and being abducted than we ever were then. We knew that it happened and we knew that you took precautions, but we just hear about it over and over and over again now. Stuff with the coronavirus, we, we hear all the bad, all the bad, all the bad across a whole country spread across millions of square miles and millions of people and it seems like it's just right at the door. And it can breed in us a, a fear of death. And again, we should do things that are wise, but we always want to keep those efforts in their proper, proper place and make sure that we're not motivated by fear, but by wisdom. And that I'm not turning my actions and my abilities into idols. If I do this, it will keep me safe. If I do this, it'll keep me from pain. If I do this, it'll keep me from death. No, I do this because it's wise and I follow the Lord. Jesus said, repent of your sins and turn to God. Change the way that you think and look to him. The only one with the answer. We can know that he's in control even when we feel vulnerable. We can know that he's in control even when we feel at risk. And he is able to teach us how to live wisely, rightly, and with purpose, even in the midst of vulnerability. He's not going to remove that vulnerability from your life. He's going to teach you how to walk wisely and with purpose, even in the midst of feeling vulnerable. Again, we, we do all these things. We're trying to gain enough authority and control and even you, you can say ability, but enough authority and control and safety so that we don't feel vulnerable. We're trying to keep it all back. And, and Jesus came to teach us that our vulnerability can be rightly embraced and can even lead us into flourishing and prosperity in spite of being a vulnerable person that we are. And he further emphasizes that point in verse four as, he, as he's finishing up this little section. He says, let's not even talk about the Galileans anymore. What about the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No, I tell you again, unless you repent, you will perish too. So he's saying the Galileans, they're not any, you're not any different than them. Hey, to reinforce that, what about when the Tower of Siloam fell, killed 18 people in Jerusalem? Were they the worst people in Jerusalem? No. I tell you again, when he says something twice, it's important. Unless you repent, you will perish too. So the other thing this passage kind of shows us, you know, we have that question in our heart and in our mind. Why do bad things happen? And the latter part of that is usually why do bad things happen to good people? And the best way I ever heard that presented and answered was that only happened one time and he volunteered. Why do bad things happen to good people? The scripture says that there's none good. No, not one. Only him. Among us, there's there's none 
good. So why do bad things happen to good people? It only happened once and he volunteered. But why do bad things happen when they happen in life, when we encounter them in life? Why do they happen? Sometimes it's because we've done something, right? It's sin in our own life. Sometimes it's someone else's sin has visited bad on us, a bad experience, a bad situation on us that comes about from someone else's sin. So my sin, their sin, both coming from the fact that we live in a fallen world where sin has reigned, right? That's why we fall into sin. That's why they fall into sin. Sometimes it's just the chaos of the world that comes from it being fallen from right relationship with God. And then, and then lastly, why do bad things happen? Sometimes it's actual evil. It's actual personified evil. We have an enemy, the Bible says, that goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Jesus told Peter, Satan has asked to have you that he might sift you as wheat. There's actual evil out there. And so which one of these things is it at one time or another? It really doesn't make any difference. Because the answer is still the same, right? Repent and turn to God. And so we come to him and we seek the wisdom and the righteousness that comes from him, not insulation and control. What we think we want is to be insulated and put behind five different walls so that I can be safe and that I can control my situation. But we know that in the end we can't. So we seek wisdom and righteousness from him, not control and insulation. And then an acceptance of our own vulnerability actually frees us up to live life in him. To live life in him. The, the, I, I read a book that talks about, and I thought it was neat, I was finishing it about the time that this popped up. It's worked out really neat. Uh, it's called Strong and Weak by Andy Crouch. I can't recommend it highly enough. It's really good. It's about 170 pages. It's a small book, but it's really, really good. And it talks about the intersection of authority, meaning my ability to do something and vulnerability, uh, taking a meaningful risk in life. And he talks about how the, the, the best case for us is authority with vulnerability. If we try to have authority alone, then it'll mess us up. And if we're vulnerable only without any authority, without any meaningful way to act and, and to live, that it's also uh, torturous for us. There's a lot of suffering there. But, but one thing he, he taught in there is that the more that we pursue authority, meaning our ability to control the situation, actually the more vulnerable we become. We become much more vulnerable the more authority and control we try to reach. We're extending ourselves out on an area that we can't rightly stand on. But if we're willing in Christ to embrace the vulnerability that we know that we have, that we know isn't going away and we live wisely and righteously in him, then we actually get to enjoy the authority that comes from him. And it's the confluence of the two, authority and vulnerability together that actually leads us into flourishing. Because we have the ability to do stuff here. And if we're willing to take risks in life and press into areas that we would otherwise shrink back from for the sake of the gospel and the sake of the good of others, then we'll find their true 
flourishing in the end. It's, it's a great book. I can't, I can't recommend it enough. But Jesus gave us that example. He talks about it here, but he gave us the example. When we remember what he did, because here he's telling them, oh, y'all worried about dying. Y'all are worried about death. You don't know how to think about that. You don't know how to handle that. It's pretty much the worst thing that can happen to you, right? What's the worst they can do? Kill you. That's right. That's the worst thing that can happen to you. And then he chose to take on all of the vulnerability that we have. And he embraced a death that was brutal and violent and horrific. And he died, literally and actually died. He didn't have to. He chose to for us. Remember what Hebrews said, so that he could set us free from the fear of death. But he took on that vulnerability of flesh and blood like we have. And he got in line for death when he didn't have to. He literally and actually died. He descended into the depths, Scripture says. And then came back on the morning of the third day. He descended all the way into what we're most afraid of. What bothers us the most, what keeps us up, the the thought of death and loss, the thought of shame and indignities being done to us. He descended completely to the bottom of it and made himself vulnerable for us when he didn't have to. And then he made death give him back. <laughs> he went down there, and who knows? I'm not staying here, but I came here to show them. I'm going to make you let me go. I'm going to make you let them go too. He made death give him back, showing us, for those that believe in him, that death will have to give us back too. That it won't be our weakness and our end. What was meant to be our shameful end will instead be the the crucible, the place where we're melted down and, and reformed. And then it's our doorway to full and eternal communion with him. To know that he said, he said, don't be afraid of death. You know it's coming. Repent of your sins and turn to God. And then he showed them what that looked like. He said, y'all feel vulnerable? I'm going to make myself vulnerable like you. You're worried about going down into death? Watch, I'll show you what it looks like. Peter wrote in his letter to the church, he said, I know the time is coming when I'm going to have to take this earthly tent off. And I, I know how to do that because Jesus already showed me how to walk that out. What takes the fear of death away more than seeing somebody who's like you, but better than you, just beat it to the ground? To break the back of death. He did that so that it would break the back of the fear of death in our lives. Scripture says he he made a show of them openly. He did it in front of everybody so that we could see and know and believe. He said, do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too unless... You repent of your sins and turn to God. What about the 18 people 
who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. The fear of death is real, but he came to break the back of it in our life so that we don't have to live driven by fear. We can live wisely and righteously and purposefully in this life in the midst of being vulnerable. In the midst of being at risk, we can do that. Amen. Why don't you stand up with me? We'll pray. And Andrew, if you'll come, we'll get ready to sing together. The one scripture says, don't be afraid, neither be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I like the King James in that one. The Lord your God is with you whithersoever thou goest. <laughs> Always remember that. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be dismayed. He is with us. He is for us. What's the worst thing? Pastor Jake always said, what's the worst they can do to you? Kill you. Maybe torture you first. <laughs> That's right. And Jesus destroyed the power of death for the believer. It's still our final enemy. It's still the last one that we face. And whenever we reach it, whether it's suddenly or slowly, we come to it in weakness and the inability to do anything to fend it off. And we can only trust completely in him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you sent Jesus. You knew that we were afraid. You knew that we were concerned because we saw the inability and the insufficiency in our own selves and what we could do. And you sent Jesus to redeem us from our sin and also to break the back of the fear of death in our life that we were slaves to. We had to follow that and we don't have to follow it anymore. I thank you that you do teach us how to live wisely, how to make good decisions, but that we don't have to be afraid, that we can walk wisely and righteously and purposefully in this life, even though we're vulnerable, even though we're just flesh and blood humans, because Jesus came and showed us that what we were most afraid of, he was well able to defeat. He made himself vulnerable for us so that we could take on his authority. And I thank you for that. God, I bind the spirit of fear and I lose the spirit of faith to act in our hearts and in our lives that we won't look to other things to hold us up when only you can, but we will see things the way that you see them. And we will always look to you as the author and the finisher of our life. You're our beginning and our eternal end. And we thank you for it. God, as we get ready to go today, I thank you that we leave in peace and unity together with one another. I thank you that you keep us safe. I thank you that you protect your people, that you give your angels charge over us to hold us up in their hands, that we wouldn't even stub our toe that we can walk through this life without being afraid. God, I pray for those that are, that, that are joining us virtually. I thank you that we're not separated in the spirit. I thank you you are there with them to give them exactly what they need today because you love them so much. And Father, as we enter into this changing season, not just a move from, from summer to fall, God, God, but as the season begins to change, because we feel a turning, we feel a movement. I thank you, Lord, that we won't shrink back from the opportunity to serve you 
here together and in our community, but that we'll press on faithfully and with steadfastness, just like Jesus showed us. And that we will be able to go out and tell others that there is good news for those who have been slaves to the fear of death and dying. And his name is Jesus. I thank you for blessing our time together today. And that you are with us, whithersoever we go. In Jesus' name, amen.